Hey, welcome to New River Church's podcast. We're really glad you decided to join us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and lifts you up. If you're looking for some more information about New River Church, just check us out at newriverchurch.org. This might be stating the obvious, but um, God sees things that we don't see. And as a result, God does things that we don't expect. Like this whole global pandemic thing. Wouldn't it be great if you could just know what God's thinking? Like, have you had that thought? Have you thought, God, what are you thinking? God, what do you see? Like, wouldn't it be awesome if you could see what God sees in this pandemic? Because clearly he's God, so his perspective is probably better than ours. What does God see? You know, um, my, my sweet wife, she has an appreciation for the fine arts, and she, so as a result, over the years of our marriage, there's been a time or two where she's dragged me to, I mean, where we've had like a, a date, and we've gone to an art gallery or art museum. She likes the Wadsworth Athenaeum. That's kind of a fun place, and it's really kind of funny how the two of us can look at the same piece of art and see something completely different. Like, I look at it, and I say, that's a nice picture. She looks at it, and she sees brush strokes, bold use of color, fine lines. Like, the same thing happens when we listen to music. We listen to the same song, and I like, maybe I like it, maybe I don't. Nice song. She listens to chord structures and rhythms, and I think the keyboard's a little sharp or flat. And if that's how two people can actually have a different perspective about something as simple as art or music. Can you imagine the difference of perspective that God must have as he looks at life? You know, you and I, we filter situations, we filter circumstances in our lives through our feelings. And if it feels bad, then we say it must be bad. So take this global pandemic, for example, it makes me feel anxious, it makes me feel afraid, it makes me feel nervous. Those are bad feelings, therefore, we reason, the pandemic must be bad. Or sometimes we filter things through what makes sense to us, our common sense. If it adds up, then it must be good. If it doesn't add up, then it must be bad. Global pandemic, it doesn't add up, so it must be bad. And I'm not saying that our perspective is wrong, not at all. Honestly, it's kind of what we have. I mean, it's what we have to work with. <laughs> we have our feelings, we have our common sense, we have our perception. I guess I'm just simply saying that surely God has a different perception of things. And it would be to our benefit to be able to know what he sees and to know what he's thinking. Now I want to get this on the table this morning right away. I, I don't want to pretend at all like somehow I know the mind of the Lord about this global pandemic. So please, I'm, I'm not at all uh, suggesting that. However, there are examples in the Bible where 
God had a different perspective about something than the people who were involved. And boy, it would be really helpful for us if we could dive into those situations in the Bible, I think we can learn a lot from those. And I would actually encourage you to do that this week, kind of make that a part of your personal study. It's like, I'm going to dive in. Let's look at these examples in the Bible where God had a different perspective than the people involved. This morning, I just want to look at one example that I kind of think stands out above all the rest, probably because it's the most painful. It's the most poignant. Um, it's the most emotionally raw example, I think. And it's actually what happened on Palm Sunday. We read about it in Luke chapter 19. And I, I want to start by reading from verse 37. We're going to read verses 37 through 44. It says that when Jesus came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now some of the Pharisees in the crowd, they said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, Jesus replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming. To you. Let's just pause and pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for including this in your inspired scripture. And now we pray that you would teach us and help us to understand it, draw the lessons out of it, Holy Spirit, and apply it to our lives. And Jesus, we pray that you would be glorified and honored in all of it. We pray this in your name, amen. So, something we gotta get on the table right off the bat, and that's this. There's, there are two labels that we attach to this day. We call it Palm Sunday. Sometimes we call it the triumphal entry. But you probably notice, even in this passage that we read, those labels aren't used in the Bible. In fact, they're, they're not biblical at all. The Bible, it's not like Jesus sat down with the disciples the night before and said, okay, boys, tomorrow is Palm Sunday. Okay, John, you got the palms? Good. James, you got, the, you got security? Okay. It, it didn't work that way. This was a spontaneous event. Jesus enters in through the gates of Jerusalem. Now, this happens to be a significant event because 
we know that because it's mentioned in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all recorded. And those four Gospels, they give us different snapshots, glimpses into the life of Christ, and some of them share different stories, but some of the events in Christ's life, they all talk about, and this is one of them. And so that tells you and me, this is a significant day. Over in John's gospel, he tells us about what happened on this day, and he gives us this little clue. He tells us that this crowd that gathered around Jesus this day, that they actually had been fueled by uh, by the miracle that Jesus had done just a couple of days before this happened. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus had been dead four days, already been buried. They already did the funeral. In fact, the Bible tells us that the corpse of Lazarus had begun to stink. And Jesus raised him to life again. Not only that, but Lazarus was walking around having dinner with people. <laughs> so word of this miracle began to spread like wildfire all around the region there. And this crowd, they wanted to get a piece of Jesus. They were like, whoa, I want to see this prophet from Galilee who raises dead people back to life again, this crowd is pumped. And the Bible tells us as Jesus comes in, they lay palm branches down on the ground. We call it Palm Sunday. They lay cloaks down on the ground, kind of a makeshift red carpet, if you will. And they're singing Jesus' praises. And look at what they sing. Look at the song that they sing. In verse 38, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The crowd has come just shy of saying that Jesus is God. They called him a king. Blessed is the king. And they said this king has come in the name of the Lord. So he is a king who represents the Lord so they came like, I mean, they didn't quite call him God, but boy, they came close. And then look at the second part of the song they sang. They said, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, maybe that rings a few bells in your mind. Maybe you remember it's been a couple of months since we celebrated Christmas, but the phrase glory in the highest it gets a lot of playtime around the holidays that's because luke as he's writing this particular gospel he records that for us if you go in your bibles go back to the beginning of luke to chapter 2 verse 14 you come to the night when jesus was born and you remember that night? The angels, baby, they shook up the sky. They rattled a few sleepy shepherds on Bethlehem's hillside in the middle of the night. And when they bust out, they were singing what song? They were singing, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men. Glory to God in the highest, on earth, peace to men. And now Luke, as he's writing his gospel, you go up about 33 years later, 
at the end of Jesus' life, and we have a crowd singing the same thing with just a slight variation. Glory to God in the highest, peace in heaven. Now, the crowd had no idea what they were singing. We're gonna see that in a moment. But remember, Luke is writing this after the fact. Luke is writing this down, and so he has hindsight, which is 2020, and, and Luke is putting this together, and I believe what Luke is doing is he's bookending the life of Christ with these two statements. Jesus' life on earth begins with this statement, glory to God in the highest, on earth peace to men. And Luke writes Jesus' the end of Jesus' life, and this statement is said again, glory to God in the highest, peace in heaven. What's Luke telling us? We don't want to miss it. Luke is telling you and me, Jesus is the link between heaven and earth and earth and heaven. Catch this. On the night that Jesus was born, God became a man. Peace from heaven to earth. And now at the end of his life, this man who is God brings peace from earth to heaven. Jesus is the perfect link between heaven and earth and earth and heaven. Jesus is the bridge of peace between God and man because he is God, became a man. And as God who became a man, he's the perfect one. He brings peace from heaven to earth and peace from earth to heaven. Jesus is the one who unites us. That's the message that Luke is trying to give to us, and we don't want to miss it. Now, you would say, Jesus, this has like got to be the best day of your whole life, man. I mean, the crowd is singing your praises. <laughs> the crowd is calling you the king. And I'm thinking, if I was Jesus, I'd be like, it's about time, people. It's about time. I'm the king. You know it. That's not how Jesus responds. The crowd is singing and dancing and celebrating Jesus. And you see what Jesus does in verse 41? It tells us. Jesus wept, comes into Jerusalem, and he starts weeping. It's odd, isn't it? Jesus cries at his own party. Huh. So I wonder what Jesus sees that this crowd doesn't see. I wonder what his perception of this is because clearly it's different. The people who are involved, they see it as a party. They see it as a celebration. They see it as the climax of Jesus' career. Jesus weeps. So what does Jesus see? that they don't see. He tells us in verse 42, if you, even you, had known what would bring you peace on this day, but now it's hidden from your eyes. You, even you, if you had only known what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden. The you 
that Jesus is talking there actually refers to two different people. So there's kind of two different yous in that statement. The first you that Jesus is weeping over is he's actually weeping over the city of Jerusalem. And we know that because of what he continues to say. We see that in the succeeding verses there. Jesus references the impending destruction of the city of Jerusalem. And Jesus, you don't want to forget, Jesus is a Jewish man living in the first century. And as a Jewish man in the first century, Jerusalem and especially the glorious temple in the center of Jerusalem would have been one of the most special places in the whole world to him. And here's Jesus riding into town what he knows to be perhaps his very last time, and he sees into the future the destruction of this very city that he loves. And he weeps over it. Now, Jesus had warned people about it before. There's other instances in his ministry prior to this where Jesus had talked about the coming destruction of Jerusalem, but people laughed him, they laughed at him, they mocked him, they, they shrugged it off. But we know from history that what Jesus predicted absolutely came true. About 40 years after the death and the resurrection of Jesus in the year 70 AD, the Roman legions came in and sacked Jerusalem, burned it to the ground, turned it into a heap of rubble. Jesus saw that coming, and he wept over it. You can understand that. Surely there's a special place to you. Maybe it's where you and your honey got engaged. Maybe it's a special uh, family vacation spot that you've gone to year after year, and you've just got so many great memories there. Maybe it's the place where you, for, you gave your heart to Jesus, and that place to you is just so incredibly special. Can you imagine how you would feel if someone came along and desecrated it and destroyed that spot? They, they don't care about how you feel about that space. They, they're just ruining it. You would grieve the loss of that special place in the same way that Jesus, as a first century Jewish man, grieves and weeps over the loss of Jerusalem. So that's the first you that he's weeping over. The second you that Jesus is weeping over is actually you and me and the people in the crowd that day. He's weeping over them. Why? Well, look at the verse again. If you, only you, had known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. Do you see the irony? This crowd is singing peace in heaven, and Jesus says, you're not getting it. You're singing about this thing about which you have no clue. The crowd is singing about peace, but they're really not singing about peace. Jesus sees their blindness to it, and he weeps over that. The tragedy of this crowd missing the very thing that they're praising. What did Jesus see in them? How did they miss the peace? What was it that caused them to miss the peace? Two things. 
first thing that caused them to miss the pieces. And we do the same thing, so I guess we can't point fingers at them. It's really us we're looking at today. They confused, and we often confuse, the difference between a truce and peace. They look the same on the surface, but they're very different. See, in a truce, well, you've stopped arguing, but you still haven't come together. In a truce, I mean, you're not fighting each other anymore, but you haven't restored the relationship either. It's a truce. It feels like peace, but it's really not because peace, peace is what happens when two parties, okay, we sit down, we acknowledge the wrongs, we're, we, we figure out what happened, where we went wrong, we come to a workable solution together, there's forgiveness on both sides, now the relationship has been restored, and in fact, when peace happens, the relationship is stronger even than it was before. You know, uh, my wife and I know this firsthand in our marriage several years ago. Many of you know we hit a very difficult time in our marriage, and it was really rough. One of the reasons why uh, we hit that spot was this. All the years prior to that, we had only ever had truces. Hadn't really worked towards peace. You know, my wife and I aren't like yellers. We're not those, we're not that kind of couple. We don't argue and scream and yet we're not like that. But you know, that doesn't mean we don't have conflict. It doesn't mean that over the years in our marriage there weren't times that we each said and did things that caused hurt to the other. And instead of resolving it, we just simply settled for a truce. Well, that all caught up to us in a really painful big way. And I wish I could tell you that in the last five or so years that, uh, you know, we are, we're learning how to have peace, learning how to resolve the conflicts as they arise. But I can tell you this, peace is way better than a truce. I think Jesus is weeping over this crowd and he's weeping over us because he sees that we settle for a truce with God rather than peace with God. See, religion offers you a truce with God. You do these things and you can feel better. But the conflict really hasn't been resolved. Sometimes we opt instead just for coming up with our own beliefs, our own theories, and that makes us feel better, but again, doesn't actually resolve the conflict between humanity, between you as a person and God. A truce. I want to tell you this, friends. If, if you have, if your relationship with God is anything less than an intimate friendship, you have settled for a truce and you don't have peace. And for that, Jesus weeps. 
And Jesus weeps also because this crowd and we often miss the person who brings the peace. You remember what Luke is telling us? Jesus is born the night of his birth. Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth. God becomes man, brought peace from heaven to earth. And here as the crowd sings at the end of his life, the man who is God brings peace, earth to heaven. Jesus is the bridge. He is the link. He is the peace between you and God. And if you miss him, you miss the peace. You can't, there is no peace with God without Jesus. And this crowd, they, they should have gotten it. Like they, it was obvious. It, it was right in front of their faces. Here is Jesus, God in the flesh, riding a baby donkey through the streets of Jerusalem. They should have seen that. What do I mean by that? Well, in the first century, if a, a general was coming back from a victorious battle, he rides his white stallion through the streets with his army in front of him and his captives in procession. And look at how powerful and how strong he is. He's the general. Or if a king wanted to have a triumphal procession through town, the king would probably be carried in some sort of gilded cart with his servants and his escorts all around him. Or maybe at the least he would ride some kind of noble steed with a gold crest on the nose showing how powerful and awesome and prestigious he is as the king displaying his majesty. But riding a baby donkey, like that's just silliness. If you go back a few verses in Luke chapter 19, the chapter that we're in, you'll see that Jesus is actually riding a colt of a donkey. It's a baby donkey. It's the size of a large dog. An average-sized man, and you can assume that Jesus is an average-sized man, you don't ride that, you straddle it. It's, it's an awkward ride. Do, do you see this? This is Jesus going through the streets of Jerusalem, and they're like having their triumphal procession, triumphal, singing the song. You see, the, 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 the optics, the picture of this couldn't be more clear. Jesus is like, I'm not coming as a conqueror. I'm coming to connect. You say, why would the God of the universe become a man like that? Let me explain it this way. You ever tried to look at the sun? Try to look directly at the sun on a bright day. You can't do it. Just a split second and your eyes start to burn and you have to look away. But on a cloudy day, the clouds are a little just right. You can still see the sun through the clouds. The clouds kind of veil the sun. And boy, it's beautiful, isn't it? You see this big orange ball through the cloud cover? What's happened? Well, the clouds have 
they veiled the light of the sun so that you can actually see it. Now, the Bible tells us that God is light. He is light. He's not just a light. He is it. Meaning that all the light that is in our created universe is it comes from him, the source of light. So the sun that burns our eyes is just a part of all that God if you will, contains in his light. So if you can imagine someone who is infinitely brighter than the sun, it's impossible for you and me to know him. It's impossible for us to be close to him, to connect with him. So what does he do? God veils himself in human flesh so that when you see Jesus, you see God. When you see Jesus moving in compassion, hey, that's the compassion of God right there. When you see Jesus healing someone, you see the healing God. You see God, the power of God to heal. When, when you see Jesus commanding the wind and the waves, you see God just simply doing what God does, taking charge of his own creation. Hey, stop. And it does. You see Jesus moving in mercy. You see the mercy of God. Jesus moving in love. You see the love of God. When you, what you see Jesus doing, you see God doing. And here's God straddling this baby donkey, going through the streets. I think it's fascinating because God doesn't come to us as a superhuman. Like when God chose to be human, God didn't like become a human king. You know, well, here I am, I'm the king, I'm special. He didn't choose to become a human, like mega rich person, you know, a one percenter. That's not how God chose to come. You know, he didn't come like as this super special, powerful, prestigious, famous kind of person. Nope. God says, here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to straddle this donkey. I'm going to go through your streets. Why? Because I'm not here to conquer you. I'm here to connect. And he became a common man so that anyone can connect with him. Jesus is the peace, and he wept over this crowd, and he weeps over you and me if we miss him, because if you miss him, you'd miss the peace. You know, um, I don't pretend uh, to know the mind of God about this global pandemic. I wouldn't even begin to want to be that pretentious or presumptuous. But I think I can say it this safely, that God is trying to get our attention. I think we can safely assume that. And it would be tragic if we just knuckled under and grit our teeth through this time and missed God. 
for that Jesus weeps. You know, the, the greatest tragedy would not be for someone to contract COVID-19, although I certainly don't want to minimize how, how that would be. I, please, that's not what I'm saying. But, but friend, it would be far more tragic if you were to survive COVID-19 and go about living your life and then years later, breathe your last like every one of us is going to and go into eternity having never discovered peace with God. That, my friend, would be a tragedy of tragedies. Jesus wept over these people. He weeps over us because he insists Hear this, friends. God does not want a truce with you. If God just wanted a truce with you, he didn't have to come to earth as a man. He could have stayed in heaven. He could have said, okay, people, you screwed it up. Let's let bygones be bygones. Okay, hit the reset button. Let's start fresh. But you understand God loves you too much to have a truce with you. He loves you too much. He actually wants peace. And to have peace, God became one of us in order to connect with us. He became that perfect link so that we could be restored with him. He actually came, and as one of us, he paid for all of our crimes and all of our sins. He paid for them. That's why Jesus died on a cross. He actually took upon himself all of the wrath and all of the punishment that was rightly due humanity for the wrongs that we have committed. That's how serious God is about peace with you and me. You understand to have peace, you need to acknowledge the wrongs, you figure out what went wrong, you, you, bring, the, you bring a resolution to it, forgiveness, forgiveness, restoration. God did that because he longs to have peace with you. You might be saying to me this morning, you go, okay, Rouse, um, I get you. I, uh, I look at my life and I say, well, I think I've only ever had a truce with God. I've actually, I don't know what peace is like with God. I, I don't have that intimate friendship like you've been talking about. I've just had a truce. I mean, hey, my whole life I've believed in God, went to church a bunch of times, you know, I've never been anti-God, so I've just had this truce with God. But I want the peace. You're saying to me this morning, Rouse, I want the peace that you're talking about. Then what I'd like to ask you to do is grab your cell phone and text the keyword, I believe, to the number 31996. I believe, like iPad, iPod, I believe, I-B-E-L-I-E-V-E, -E, text 
text that keyword to 31996. And here's what's going to happen. That's going to send you a link to our church website, newriverchurch.org, where we set up a page that gives you just some of the first couple of steps that you can take in your new friendship with Jesus. And our and I want to promise you that you're not going to get put on some mailing list and we're not going to bug you. The only way that I would follow up with you is if on that page there's a place where you can send me an email. If you got questions about Jesus, you got questions about your new relationship with Jesus, send me an email and I'd be happy to respond to that email and we can converse that way. But otherwise, I promise you, this is just a way I felt like we needed just to kind of have the next step for those of you that are saying, I really want peace with God and not just a truce. So if that's you, please again text, I believe, to 31996. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like more encouragement or information about New River Church, Check us out at newriverchurch.org.